So when you go into, a mother goes into a grocery store here in Austin, she picks up a gallon of organic milk. You know, we're the ones that make sure it doesn't, it doesn't have antibiotics or, or uh, hormones in it. When you pick up that carton of eggs, we make sure that it doesn't have E. coli or salmonella. But that's, most people kind of lose what we do from there. Uh, but we also check every barcode scanner in the state, in the state uh, every scale, all weights and measures. Uh, we're the agency that uh, makes sure that over 400,000 fuel pumps in the state are, are dispensing properly and they're not ripping off uh, Texas taxpayers. Uh, we've, uh, you know, go into every hardware store, every grocery store. We go into every Starbucks in the state. You and Evan Smith. Uh, that's it. Yep. Every, every Starbucks in the state, you'll see a certificate of registration with the Texas Department of Agriculture because they weigh coffee beans on scales. And some of those beans are very expensive, so we want to make sure that the consumer gets, gets what they're paying for. Um, we actually certify the lottery balls. There's several million dollars uh, riding on those little ping pong balls. So we weigh them and, and, and calibrate them, and we don't even, we can't, they're so sensitive, our, our measurements, that you can't touch them because all off your uh, fingers will make them unbalanced. So, you know, it, Texas Department of Agriculture, we don't tolerate horse thieves, cattle rustlers, or cheats. So we've got the consumers back. Got it. We, uh, we also do things that you would think like pesticides and seeds and grain warehouses. We also house the Office of uh, uh, Rural Health Care. So we're responsible for delivering health care to 177 rural counties across the state, which is really challenging because we have uh, uh, rural hospitals are closing. We expect five more to close in, in the next, next couple of years, uh, mainly because of the current reimbursement rates. They just can't make it. So that, that's challenging. So we're working with people like the uh, Shriners Burn Hospital in Galveston to bring telemedicine uh, to rural Texas. We have a pilot program with uh, Texas Tech where we're reaching out and have it in uh, nine West Texas counties where we have encrypted uh, communications equipment where we can link those EMT vehicles uh, back with the uh, medical center at Texas Tech. So we're doing some innovative things there. Uh, we, we do the uh, uh, infrastructure for, for those rural counties, delivering uh, you know, water, sewer, telecommunications, broadband, uh, construction projects, water treatment plants, we're the agency for that. So agriculture is a pretty, a pretty broad and encompassing term. It is. The largest thing we do is uh, we run 12 of the 14 federal nutritional programs and all the state nutritional programs. Meals on Wheels, the things you would know about is a school lunch program, uh, school breakfast program. We just rolled, rolled out my initiative on Farm Fresh Fridays and Farm to School this week that we're taking all across the state. Uh, tomorrow we're closing out at the State Fair, our Food and Fiber Pavilion, which that's been a, our main push, is uh, connecting our, our lunch rooms with, with fresh, uh, locally grown sourced produce and vegetables and meats. Because we're, we're trying to change the culture in our lunch rooms. Uh, for 10 years, we, we've, we've had rules that, that, that just haven't worked. Well, and since, since you brought that up, talking about, you know, the nutritional culture around schools, I mean, let's talk about, you know, in the, in the first year in office, your office has really been in the headlines a lot around food-related things, sure. particularly the cupcake conversation, mm -hmm. uh, returning deep fryers and soda machines to schools. I mean, have those distracted from your bigger goals? Do you still stand by those no, I, don't, I don't think so. We, we have a very aggressive, uh, pardon the pun, fresh approach to childhood nutrition. What we've done in the last 10 years ha hasn't worked. Uh, juvenile diabetes, uh, juvenile obesity rate has risen. 
So the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. So we roll back to all the mandates, and you, you brought up deep fryers. I'm, I'm glad you did. Uh, I think that was a little bit uh, uh, misplayed in the press. But here, here's the deal. On the federal nutritional guidelines, there's over 30 foods that can be served in our schools uh, fried, deep fried. Well, previous administration had removed all the deep fryers from our public schools, so they can't do that. So what happens is those items are deep fried in an industrial kitchen with chemicals, additives, preservatives, food coloring. They're flash frozen and then uh, shipped out to our schools, and they thaw them out and put them on a plastic lunch tray. I'm just giving schools some local control, local choice. If they want to put in a deep fryer and cut up a potato or a chicken nugget and do it fresh without all those additives and chemicals. So you're saying it should be deep fried locally versus deep fried somewhere else? I'm not saying they have to do that, so we're giving them that option if they want to do that, because what we're trying to do is change the culture in Texas from healthy trash cans to healthy kids. Since the, the new food guidelines went in uh, under Michelle Obama, the amount of food that goes in a trash can has risen 56%. That's, that's unacceptable. We need to change that culture. Those are taxpayer dollars just being actually literally thrown, thrown in the garbage. I mean, there's a perception, I think, among Texas political insiders that you came into office and were sort of flying by the seat of your pants. Susan Combs, the former comptroller, suggested a few months ago that you didn't understand, quote, what it means to be a statewide elected official. Where do you think that type of criticism come, comes from, and, and what's your response to it? Well, I, I can certainly see her feelings. It, it, when Susan Combs is the one that took, took the uh, soda machines and the deep fryers and then wouldn't let mothers bring cupcakes to school and, and, and ended bake sales. There were no federal guidelines at that time, which was very, very well-meaning. So you're, you're now, saying she took those things out? Yeah, though she put those in by ma mandate. Because her argument is she allowed cupcakes to come back in. Right. So Are you saying that's not accurate? No, that she put all of those mandates in on our schools, removed the deep fryers and all of that. Since then, the federal government has come in with nutritional standards that are very, very strict. So that, that complicates things. And I just gave you the example of why I think we should give some do away with all those mandates. Well, that, that was her initiative, and I just gutted it. I mean, she should be upset. I mean, that was, you know, everything that she put her heart and soul into, so I, so I get that. But it's not needed anymore. Times have changed. So, so, so we're moving on, and uh, uh, we've uh, uh, rolled out our Farm Fresh Fridays. We're rolling that around the, the state. We have an a ex uh, exercise component with that, uh, Jump with Jill. It's been very successful because we believe not only good nutrition, but exercise is how you get the end results and reverse the trends that we have in Texas. Great. I want to talk, we're here on the environment track, and I haven't talked to you about the environment yet. So, you know, the threats of drought are obviously huge for agriculture, which is a primary responsibility of your agency. Climatologists and scientists increasingly telling us these threats are going to grow uh, and that these threats are man-made. Um, you know, yet GOP leaders in Texas continue to say that there is, is really no connection between the two. What's your personal understanding of climate science and the role that humans play in climate change? Well, look, I just uh, went on an economic development mission and spent 11 days in China. Uh, obviously, we're doing it right here in the United States. I don't think I saw the sunshine, but maybe once or twice, and it was only for like 10 minutes. Because of the pollution there. Just terrible, terrible pollution. So I, I think that the American farmers and ranchers are, are very conscious of that, always have been. Uh, November the 5th, over at the Capitol, we're going to have our Family Land Heritage Day. 
And that's where we bring in and honor those families that have kept their family farm or ranch in the family for 100 plus years. One thing in common that all of those farming and ranches families have, every one of them without exception, their number one goal is to pass that farm on to the next generation in better shape than what their generation found it. So farmers and ranchers, we get it. We understand, we understand what sustainability is. Even, even before Texas was settled, if, if you've come to my office, in my office I have a seven foot Comanche headdress. It goes all the way from the ceiling to the floor. And people often ask me, I said, what is that significance of that? I said, well, it has a lot of significance. I said, the Comanches and our Native Americans were the original ag department. And they understood sustainability long before we even were here. So it's, they were agriculturalists, we are, so, so we get it. And we know how to take care of the land. So as agriculturalists, what do you get about climate science? Well, here's, here's the overall picture of it. <clears throat> Agriculture, and particularly America, we have a moral obligation to feed the world. We have to produce enough food, fiber, and fuel to send around the world to people that we will never see so they can sustain life. And we take that very, very seriously. So you'll find that I, I'm a, a great champion of, of the environment, I always have been. I think uh, uh, conservatives, Republicans, uh, have given that uh, subject over to, uh, uh, to the liberals when actually we are the ones that, that embrace it. That's our, that's our subject. The root word conserve comes to mind, you know, in conservative. Uh, Nixon started the EPA. Uh, so, it's had quite a bit of mission creep. Yeah, but I mean, I, the specific question I'm asking you, I guess, is do you believe that humans play a role in, in climate change? You know, after going to China, I think so. Yep. It was very eye-opening. Because uh, uh, a lot of folks in your party don't yeah, believe I, that. I, I don't think uh, America plays much of a part. I think we're, we're doing a, uh, a really good job. Uh, but let me tell you how uh, agriculture has made more progression when it comes to climate change and sequestering carbon uh, than any other part in the history of, of agriculture. You know, people give a bad rap to, to GMOs and biotechnology all the, all the time. But because of this technology, uh, oh my gosh, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to the environment. And people don't get that. Uh, through GMOs, biotechnology, uh, we have been able to move from conventional uh, farming uh, to no-till or minimum tillage. And what you have to understand under conventional farming Every time you turn the ground over, it releases carbon, and it kills the microbes, which is bad for the environment. Now that we have this new biotechnology, we're using 40% less pesticides. We're not turning that ground over. We're not releasing carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, conventional farming for cotton or corn, it takes an average five gallons of diesel fuel to put in a crop. Through biotechnology, we've reduced that to one gallon. That's 80% less fossil fuels to put in a biotech crop versus con conventional farming. So, uh, you know, we continue, agriculture continues uh, to, be, to be the leader 
when it comes to conservation and, and, uh, and being good for the environment and good for the climate. There was a study by the uh, uh, Texas Water Development Board uh, on the efficiency of water, which has been a top priority of mine. Uh, their studies showed that agriculture is 95% proficient when it comes to the use of water. Now, industry can't claim that. Municipalities can't claim that. Uh, so, so it seems I, like the argument that you're making then, you've said, is you do believe that humans play a role in climate change, but you think in Texas, and particularly in agriculture, we're doing it right. We are doing it right. There's, there's no doubt about mm -hmm. it. I mean, to, 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 to make more rules, uh, more strict, more stringent, you could go to China and you could move the needle like that, okay? In some of those, those other countries, they're not the only one. But in the United States, to put in those erroneous oversight and rules, you can't move the needle, but I mean, there's no place to move it. Well, I do want to talk we're, about that. We're and, right. out. You know, you've said that the greatest threat facing Texans is, quote, an overzealous federal government, you know, not drought or hurricanes. You know, we in the yeah. media hear that line a lot. It, it sounds like political posturing, but do you really believe the federal government is infringing on your job as agriculture commissioner? Oh, there's no doubt about and it. And in, no, in I, what ways? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm suing the EPA over waters of the U.S., or WOTUS. If you say it real slow, it's woe to us. <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, and there may be some well-intended uh, uh, people there, but it's the unintended consequences. That is, that WOTUS ruling, I promise you, will be the worst environmental move that the EPA has made. And let me explain how that works. So they put in and they implement this rule, which we just won a victory, by the way. We, we got to stay, and the rules are not going to be implemented. Right. So we're good. We, we had our first victory. So let's say the rules are implemented, and they come to me, and they say, all right, we've determined that instead of putting 200 pounds of nitrogen on your crop, you are now limited to 50. Okay. Well, let's just use a little cowboy logic. You've right. got more of that than I do. Well, <laughs> here, here it is. Let me share some of it. So, okay, I'm out there, and I've got a mortgage on some land I bought. I put in some center pivots to increase my production. I've got mortgage on those. I've got a combine, a couple of tractors that I have to pay. I have to generate a certain amount of income to meet my obligations. If I reduce my inputs, my yields go down and my profits go down. So what do I do? Cowboy logic. I'm already farming all the good ground I can find. So what's that going to do? It's going to force me to go out and take marginal land that it's been fallowed and out of production and put it back in highly erodible land, they will have to farm that, those hillsides. And, and, and instead of leaving that, uh, you know, 50 to 100-yard buffer next, next to the river, you're going to have to farm all the way to the bank. Because that, that's, I mean, you don't have a choice. You have to, you have to provide for your family and, and meet your obligations. So I think it's going to have, even if it is implemented, I don't think it will be. I think we'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court because they, they have uh, uh, usurped Congress, the Clean Waters Act that was passed by Congress. Uh, they have usurped, already usurped the will of the Supreme Court in saying that uh, the Supreme Court limited the powers of, of the EPA to uh, governance over water streams and lakes. And I think they're usurping the Tenth Amendment, though the rest of those rights were reserved to be regulated and overseen by the states. And basically what this Wotus rule does is carte blanche. They, control everything. Even an extreme example would be 
if uh, I wanted to build a new fence on my ranch and I had to cross a ditch, or I would have to get a permit to build that fence across that ditch. It had to meet certain guidelines and standards, and you know, it's just un unworkable. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, do you have any regrets at all from your first year in office? I mean, it did seem heavily focused on calories. <laughs> the conversation was really driven around, you know, the cupcake and the deep fryer conversation. When you look back at this at this past year, are there any things you would have done differently if you could do it over again? Oh, I wouldn't do anything differently. And I, I don't, I think we had a great start. I think a lot of it got misreported on mm -hmm. cupcakes. What we're doing is putting freedom and, and, and liberty and, and some local control back. You know, who better to make a de decision, an Austin bureaucrat or a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., on how to feed your child? Or would it be a nutritionist at your school or parents? Or even better yet, how about parents and teachers making those decisions? Because I, I, I promise you, what is good in the lunchroom in, in Highland Park is not necessarily the same thing that should be serving in McAllen, Texas. So we want to make those, we, we're partnering with them. We have a very aggressive five-point plan. And uh, I think we'll see the obesity rate go down. I could be wrong, but if we keep doing the same thing we're doing, the beast rate keeps getting away from us. So I am so happy, so pleased with our nutritional program. I, I'm very excited about it. When you first took office, you seemed to step on some toes. You irked some lawmakers with what they said was sort of aggressive lobbying for agency funding, came under uh, fire for hiring a convicted felon. You faced questions about a proposal to renovate your office. What was all that about? I mean, was it sour grapes? Or, or, and has the dust settled from oh, the, that? Oh, the dust is settled. Those were just some people make, making headlines. You'd, you know, I had that, uh, uh, the, we've still got the same carpet in our foyer that was there when Jim Hightower was there. I thought we might ought to change out the flooring, so I sent out a re request for a proposal to see what it would cost. I got it back, and it, I said, we're not doing it, it's too much. So that made headlines. Just stuff like that. I mean, just, uh, we, we're very focused. We've got a great team at, at the TDA. Uh, we're moving the needle in, in so many ways. Uh, I mentioned our economic development, that we've been aggressive. Uh, moving out Texas products. I mentioned going to China. I have hosted over 30 foreign countries at the TDA. Uh, we're selling lots of Go Texan products uh, exclusively in, in some department stores, even in uh, uh, Germany. Uh, after next month, uh, we'll have been to every continent on the globe with the exception of Antarctica. And that's your next trip, right? You're uh, going to announce that today? No, no, I haven't figured out how to make any money. Uh, selling in Texas products to penguins. Well, I mean, when but you were in the legislature... Another, and another yep. thing that, that, that we've, we've done exceptionally is in our consumer protection division. Uh, we have... Uh, I have really had our uh, enforcement uh, people uh, looking at for people that are, that are illegally operating in Texas and ripping off Texas consumers. And we so far, we've identified 5,500 businesses that are not registered with the TDA have never had their scales or their pumps or any, anything certified with us. So we're now, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. We're sending, we've sent out letters, asking them to register. We need to come inspect you. Uh, we want to make sure that our food supply is safe and secure and affordable. Uh, some of them have registered, some of them have. We're going to send out another letter. And then we're going to send our inspectors out. And we're going to shut those businesses down if they, if they continue to rip off uh, Texas consumers. 5,500. 
I'm, I'm curious about going for the process of going from being a legislator to being a, a commissioner. You know, in the legislature, obviously, you're, you're a fiscal hawk, you know, trying to make sure that there's not overspending. And then you come to an agency, and in an agency, you know, you basically said, look, we don't have the funding that we need at this point. Do you feel like on the agency, you have a new perspective now being on the agency side that agencies maybe aren't well enough funded or, or do need additional resources than no, I, you did when you were a legislator, for example? I, th I think uh, we're spot on at, at the TDA because we are operating under a cost recovery program, which I think all state agencies, if it's applicable, uh, should do that. We don't really uh, take general revenue, taxpayer uh, money. We, drive, we are driving our uh, uh, operating costs directly from the pe people that uh, benefit from those services, whether it be a, a pesticide application fee, or an inspection on a fuel pump, or a grain warehouse fee, or organic certification. Uh, the organic certification program was uh, one of one of my the first items that that, that, that we got involved in because I I'm a huge champion of organic farming. It's one of the fastest growing segments uh, of, in in agriculture. We can't get enough. But there was a problem. We had a two and a half year backlog for you to get your crop certified. That's totally unacceptable. Within 90 days, we had the trains running on time, and those organic farmers were getting their certification so they could get their crops to town. We've expanded our, our Go Texan certified farmers markets. Uh, we're very strict on that, who can be there, and it has to be Texas products, and we make sure that it's, if you sell it as organic, that it is organic. We don't let any of that hanky-panky go on. We want to make sure that our consumers are, are protected. Uh, so we've, we've made a, a lot of strides at the TDA, whether it be in nutrition, or consumer protection, or organic uh, production, uh, economic development. Uh, we've uh, rural healthcare. We I mentioned the partnerships we have with Texas Tech and the Bur uh, Shriners Burn Hospital. So uh, I mean, we, we've had a very aggressive uh, first ten months. Well, and you've you know you've received accolades for your interactions with the people who are served by your agency. You know, obviously, organizations like the Tribune got to look at your email and see how you are often responding to individual people who have complaints. Did do you have a sense that your your predecessor was not as engaged in this position as you were? You know, any time you have an administration change, the priorities and the goals of those administrations are different. Uh, I think Todd Staples did an excellent job meeting his goals and initiatives. Uh, his are not necessarily the same as mine. What's I mean, the difference between well, the two? Well, I have, I have a, uh, Todd was really focused on border security, and, and I get that, and we're still doing that, but it's not my number one focus. Number one is, is water, uh, two is rural health care, three is economic development and creating jobs in Texas. Uh, so, you know, my priorities are, are just different. So, I, I, no, I don't criticize him at all. Uh, you know, Susan Combs was, was something different, so. Something different meaning you will criticize her? No, no. I, I like Susan. I thought she did a good job. She was, she has a, a very good heart and, and uh, uh, wanted to address childhood obesity and, and juvenile diabetes. As do I. My program to get there is different than hers because times have changed. You talked a couple of minutes ago about rural hospitals and the crisis really that they're facing. A lot of them trying to keep their doors open. And you mentioned their Medicaid, their reimbursement rates. Do you think the legislature needs to improve, increase those Medicaid reimbursement rates for rural hospitals? Well, I don't think the legislature can. That's going to be uh, on the federal level. That's, that comes down from on, on the federal end of it. Uh, we can do some uh, innovative things. We can uh, give some incentives to entice people to serve in those areas. We, we can uh, uh, do some uh, 
scholarship opportunities, some of our universities, if they agree to serve in an underserved area or rural area, and, and we have some of those programs going on. Mm -hmm. What we're really focused on is, is we're not convinced that we can build new hospitals across rural Texas. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're focused on bringing telemedicine to, to rural Texas. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes it's an hour, hour and a half away. And those are critical moments in a, in a heart attack victim or a burn victim. The golden hour, I think they call it. It is. Right. It is. So we're work, working very closely uh, to expand that. And that's our first initiative in, in rural health care. Uh, you've been in the headlines in the last year for reasons uh, beyond your policies, including a Facebook post apparently put up by one of your staffers that seemed to call for the atomic bombing of the Muslim world, uh, and for an interview you gave expressing concerns that America might be en route to being a Muslim country. You know, your opponents have called that, that racist and xenophobic. I guess I have to ask point blank, do you think Muslims, all Muslims, are, are terrorists? You know, that post, you know, I had no control of that. I didn't even, matter of fact, I was, that was, came up when I was in China. I mean, there's no Facebook in China. I didn't even know what happened. But anyway, we dealt with that. We moved on. Uh, it, it was taken down. Uh, you know, I don't have any animosity towards Muslim. I, I'm a Christian and, and, a, and a believer, uh, and I still believe, and I'll stand by that that's what this country's founded on, and I think that's why uh, we've been as, as blessed as, as we have, is those principles we haven't uh, varied from too much. Uh, so, no, we're, we're, we're more focused on, on, on agriculture, protecting the Texas consumer, uh, providing a, a, a place to live and work and raise our families, protecting our, our, our family values, uh, our heritage that we have in Texas, which, by the way, makes Texas really easy to sell when I go to those foreign countries and markets. So, I mean, do you understand why or did, did it occur to you that people might have their feelings hurt or be offended by those types of statements? Well, you know, I, we're going to say things that, that everybody doesn't agree with, and then we move on. Uh, I want to talk about, we've been talking about international travel. I mean, do you have any, you went to China this summer. Um, I'm curious if you, in your, your, I know you've expressed some desire to go to Israel also. Mm -hmm. Are you concerned at all that any of those statements might, you know, jeopardize your relationships, building business, you know, relationships? We haven't had any negative feedback on that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Everything's been positive. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about the trip to China and tell me about what kind of future. You've mentioned wanting to go to Israel. What kind of opportunities do you see for Texas internationally? Well, we've had a very successful trip in China. Uh, we visited with uh, people in uh, producers and, and manufacturers in Beijing, Guangzhou, uh, Shanghai, uh, several, several others. Our biggest achievement was there was they love pecans, especially Texas pecans. So we are now shipping direct from growers uh, to, to, to the roasters there, which we weren't able to do that before. Uh, we were successful in getting a 35% a tariff uh, on Texas pecans, lowered to 10%, which makes us uh, more competitive with uh, the other markets that come out of Australia and New Zealand and Mexico. Uh, so we, we expect those sales to, to increase uh, dramatically. Uh, now that we're on a more of a level playing field, uh, we've... Uh, are working with them on selling genetics, plant genetics, animal genetics, uh, has been uh, very promising. We, for the first time since 2003, we actually have a dialogue, and they're going to uh, accept a proposal uh, on opening up uh, the Chinese market to uh, U.S. beef again, which was uh, uh, probably one of the highlights of the trip. 
You know, you were interviewed extensively for a Texas Tribune project that we launched this past week called God and Governing on the Role of Faith mm -hmm. in the Legislative Process. I'm curious, how, how does your personal faith drive your, your decision making in the agriculture uh, department? Well, it, it, it's, it's a very being of who I am. Uh, you know, I get up in the morning, I study the scripture, you know, I talk with God in prayer and ask guidance and, and uh, uh, for my life and, and what I do, and that I can be a blessing to those uh, Texans that I serve. I want to ask you a little bit about, about higher office because, you know, when you're on TV or you're in the press, you know, you sound like someone who's obviously, you know, card-carrying, social conservative, hitting on all the sort of hot-button issues. Where do you go from here? Is, is this, you know, your, your last stop as a commissioner? Or you know, do you it, think it, it very well could be. Who knows? Uh, obviously, there's a track record in Texas of folks in this, in right. this position seeking higher yeah. office. You know, my intention is to be the, when I leave this office, here's what I'd like people to say. Sid Miller was the best ag commissioner that Texas has ever had. And I hope whoever follows me is better than me. So I'm a little bit different. I'm not focused on running for a higher office, at least not at this point. I'm focused in, and you mentioned earlier how I'm involved personally, uh, dealing with the office of, of uh, agriculture commissioner. Uh, we've, you know, changed the administrative way we do things. We have several assistant commissioners instead of one deputy commissioner. And we've divided that and we're specialized and we can focus more on those individual needs and, uh, and duties of, of, we have over 130 duties at the, Texas Department of Agriculture. There's not another agency that is as broad or deep and it touches the lives of Texans any more than this agency. So uh, I know it sounds like a political cliche, but I truly am 100% focused on being the best ag commissioner that Texas ever had. That's my goal. As a former legislator, I feel like it, you know I'm, I'm at liberty to ask you some of the hot button issues that the legislature has been dealing with, and I'm curious, you know, your rating on them. How do you think they handled religious liberty issues this past session, and in particular, uh, in particular, a lot of you know debate around uh, same-sex marriage and the Pastor Protection Act? I thought the P Pastor Protection Act was was landmark bill. That that was great. Uh, of course, I was, you know, I don't think it's a secret. When I was in legislature, I was kind of the pro-life leader in the House, passing the sonogram bill and stripping $21 million away from Planned Parenthood. Uh, but I thought they had a good session, it's particularly because everyone was new, except the Speaker of the House. We have a new governor, lieutenant governor, comptroller, attorney general, land commissioner, you know, a new railroad commissioner and ag commissioner. So uh, actually with all those new people and moving parts and people moving around and changing places, it could have been a, a session where not much got done. But, uh, yeah, it was a good session. What would you like to see lawmakers do? Uh, obviously, you just said you've been a, a champion for uh, anti-abortion legislation. Uh, there are already a bunch of interim charges around this uh, fetal tissue donation issue. What do you think needs to be the next step for the legislature on those types of topics? Well, I think that all be ferreted out in, in interim charges, and that's, that's what we have those for. Uh, I think that type of stuff like sanctuary cities and... and uh, uh, fetal tissue and all that stuff will come out in those interim charges. Of course, we're, we're more focused on the agriculture aspect of it. Uh, you know, we try not to get distracted by things that we don't poke our nose into places where, that we don't need to be. Well, although, so, you know, obviously commissioners and elected officials routinely in their campaign platforms, you know, the anti-abortion issue is at the top of the, of the web page. Well, and, and, and I don't disagree that, that that's important. I mean, every statewide official, uh, you know, that just tells you what's, what's in the person's heart and what, they, what their beliefs are. 
and when you're voting for someone for a statewide office, you know, 27 million people, I think it's important to know what's in that person's heart. Obviously, you're a huge champion of the Second Amendment. Um, you know, we continue to see the school shootings, mass shootings, a lot of conversations around mental health. You know, the United States really being one of the only countries where we continue to see mass shootings of this scale. What are, are the solutions in your mind? You know, if, if taking, if, you know, further gun control is not a solution, mm -hmm. what's the solution? How do we stop well, this? The, the, it's very simple, just in gun-free zones. Because all those shootings that you just described are all in gun-free zones. Uh, the theaters, the schools, gun-free, gun-free, gun-free. Anytime that, you know, you go into a place and, and, and if, you're, if you're wanting to commit mass murder, you're going to go into a place where you're not going to, you know, be killed yourself, at least until you accomplish, you know, what, what you're set there for. So but if I'm a mass murderer... Ever, you and never, ever see that happening. You go to Fort Hood and, and the soldiers are unarmed. Really? Give me a break. But if, I'm, guys are, if I'm a mass murderer... Those guys are yeah. trained killers. They know what they're doing. And, and you don't allow them yeah. to be armed? But let's say I have no, um, no desire to keep my own life intact. Let's say I'm a mass murderer and I'm planning on killing myself at the end. What's going to stop me from coming in and blowing up a whole movie theater if, you know, I, you well, know I'm not concerned that some guy in I'll there tell, might be I'll tell you, I'll tell you. One good guy with a gun will stop him. I mean, you really believe that one good guy with a gun will be able to, you know, respond quickly enough? He might get one person, he might get two, but he won't get 20 or 30. I promise you. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about, um, you know, looking back, back at your tenure here. How do you think, what do you see for, your, for yourself for the, the sort of foreseeable future? What do you see for yourself for the next year? What are the things you didn't accomplish this past year that you want to accomplish in the year to come? You know, we're, we're pretty much on schedule. We, we have some things we, we haven't gotten to yet at the Texas Department of Agriculture. We have uh, about 47 uh, advisory committees, some of them by statute uh, that are in law that we maintain those and file reports with the legislature and and uh, we're getting to those uh, a lot of those haven't met since 2008 2009 most of the committees are uh, members have turned out and we need to make some new committee appointments so that's kind of kind of a not a sexy exciting thing but we're, we're fo focused on that right now uh, doing that we are, are going to expand our consumer protection where, where we're looking for those people that uh, possibly ripping off Texas consumers. Uh, so we'll be moving on to that uh, and looking for those businesses that, that are not in compliance with, with Texas law. Uh, and we will be you know, expanding that operation. We, are, we will continue uh, uh, to do some innovative things in our economic development. Uh, not, and we do economic development. It's not just for rural Texas. You know, one in seven jobs is related to agriculture in this state. So, you know, that's, that's urban jobs, that's suburban jobs, and that, that, that's rural jobs. And well, let me just, we're getting off topic a little bit, not talking about the environment, but I'd like to clear up some things. There's kind of some misnomers about uh, agriculture, particularly in Texas. People talk about agriculture becoming this big carpet farm and, and, the, and the small farms and ranches are, are going away. Actually, it's not true, certainly not true in Texas. The average size of the farm in Texas is getting smaller, not larger. The average size of Texas is 521 acres. Uh, last year it was 528 acres. The number of farms in Texas is not getting smaller. There's getting more and more farms in Texas. The number of farms is increasing. 
and the size is getting smaller. So we're not moving to a big carpet type farming that is kind of portrayed in the media. So, you know, I'd like to get that out there. Uh, we've, uh, you know, everybody's uh, scared of these GMOs and, and uh, uh, you know, Norman Burlog 40 years ago, you know, predicted, predicted what's happening now, that we would have to produce enough food now uh, equal to all the food we've produced in the last 10,000 years. The new GAP report came out and, and that our, well, prior, we, the amount of food that we produce today will need to double by the year 2050. The new GAP report came out this week. It now says we're going to have to produce twice as much food as we produce today by 2022. That's, that's seven years. Do you, think, do you fear that Texas is going to see the same anti-GMO legislation that other states have seen, you know, that California has seen? I haven't seen it here yet. I, I just got back meeting with the other uh, agriculture commissioners across the United States last night. Uh, and there are some other states that are trying to, I hope not. We don't need a patchwork of stuff that we can't uh, uh, navigate through. So uh, there is some movement in Congress to, to address that. Uh, but, you know, we can't feed the world organically or with traditional farming practice. We continually have to produce more with less. We lose equi equivalent in Texas of a farm a week in this state by urban encroachment. So we've got less land to farm, less water, it's going more to urban areas. So that we, have an, we have a huge challenge to feed, to feed this planet. Like I said earlier, we, we have to produce enough food and fiber and now fuel uh, you know, for people, and it goes around, we don't even see the people that, that we're feeding. Uh, and we have a huge moral responsibility to do that. So without uh, advances, in, and here's, here's the whole deal. Let me just give you an example of GMOs. People are scared of what they don't know. You know, that's why kids are scared of the dark, because they can't see what's out there. They don't know. So let me just, let me give you a what if. What if all of our production turned to clones? Would you feel safe eating a food source that was entirely cloned? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> well, fact is we've been doing it for about 100 years. And I'll give you an example. You know, if you, had, did you, if you had a red delicious apple this morning, that's an exact clone of the very first red delicious apple. If you had a pecan pie or you had a apricot preserves, or you, you know, you had the, uh, most all of those are exact clones through genetic engineering uh, that was done through crossbreeding and cross-pollination, and then they asexually reproduce that exact clone, whether it be a Bartlett pear or Alberta peach or a red delicious apple. But that doesn't, that doesn't bother us. But, but when you put it in the context like I put it, it sounded all Frankensteinish, and you know, so, but it does, doesn't really hurt us. And there's been no proven fact that the, the genetically modified organism that we're using today hurt us at all either. We're about ready to open it up to Q&A. Uh, as you folks are getting your questions ready, uh, the one just final question I want to ask you is, you know, bringing it back to the environment, as we've been talking about, what's your message for legislators around environmental concerns? And in particular, you know, we, again, we talked about climate a little bit. You know, you've said how you feel about it. A lot of colleagues in the legislature, you know, don't necessarily share your view. They don't see any kind of human link anywhere. Right. What would you tell them? Well, I think, 
I would tell them that, that uh, production agriculture in Texas is doing a good job protecting the environment. Uh, we are good stewards of the land. We always have been. Uh, you know, and I'd, I'd like them to understand the evolution of agriculture in, in the United States. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, farming was, you know, with mules, and it was more subsistence farming, with the exception of two crops, tobacco and cotton. That was basically it. The rest of the stuff we grew to eat and live. Uh, then came the uh, 2.0, the mechanization, uh, and we weren't good stewards of the land. We didn't know what we were doing. And we had the bust, uh, dust bowl days and a lot of erosion and, and uh, uh, ruined a lot of farmland. But through our land-grant universities and, and here in Texas through the Texas Agriculture Extension Service, we educated farmers and ranchers, and we, they learned how to do cover crops and contour farming and, and, and reclaim that land and build the soil back up, and we've been doing that now for about 80 years. Well, we're, we're to a new, new nexus in agriculture, kind of the 3.0, where we've got to double our production on the same or less number of grounds with inputs in, in seven years. So we're in the technology age, where now we are using, uh, and this is great for the environment because we're able to use drones to go out over the field and, and, uh, and scan the field. And we, we don't put 500 pounds of nitrogen on the whole field. It's specifically targeted so much in, in, on this piece, of this two acres, and then not as much on this. And we, we're reducing pesticides for about 40% because we can, we can target that in a micro uh, farm on, on the farm. So, and, and we're just so much more precision. We can, we can you know, precision place 10,000 seeds exactly the right depth and exactly the right spacing apart uh, where we're not uh, wasting seed and more. Or, and, and we, that's how we get this increased production. But we've, we've kind of gone through three phases. Great. And this new phase is just over the top, uh, full of new technology, and, and we will have to continue to embrace that if we continue to feed the world. I would be remiss if I didn't uh, end by asking you which of the many candidates in this Republican field for president you were throwing your weight behind. You know, I was a Rick Perry guy, and I don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> so who's your second choice? <laughs> I, I haven't committed to anybody. There's lots of good ones, though. I'm, I really, you know, we, we Repub we've got a great field. You know, we, we've got, we've got, we're not all white. You know, like, like the Democrats, we've got blacks, Hispanics, we've got women, we've got, we've got the whole deal. So uh, we've got a lot to choose from. Uh, I can't think of one of them that would be a, a bad president. What, even you, you're a fan of Donald Trump's? Yeah, he's got some good things to say. Sure does. Would he be on your short list? Well, you know, he's a, a, you know, he's a businessman, uh, you know. Of all, those, of all those people, you could ask yourself this question. Of all those people running on a Republican ticket, who would you walk up and hand the keys to your business to? He'd probably be the one. You'd give them to him versus Carly Fiorina? Probably would. Probably would. So I, th I think he's an excellent, excellent business person. And he gets trade. You know, we, you know I, I just got back from China. I said, hey, it was huge. You know, big deal over there. So he could be on your short list? Sure. If, if he's the nominee, Republican nominee, I'll back him. Sure would. All right. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to open it up. Uh, please come approach the microphone if you've got a question. And uh, whoever's up first there, sorry, we've got some bright lights here. But uh, yes, sir, go ahead. Uh, Paul, Bonner, let's see. Paul Bonarigo, uh, Messina Hoff Winery. Um, Commissioner, uh, 
the GoTexan program has been really helpful in the Texas wine industry, and right now the Texas wine industry is the fastest growing wine industry in the United States. Uh, but there's a real serious concern that the vineyards of Texas has, and that's the threat of 2,4-D ready cotton. Uh, because of its uh, driftability, uh, it has a significant impact on the vineyard. And uh, we're hopeful that TDA will take a tough stance on driftable uh, 2,4-D uh, so that it does not harm the industry because it could set the industry right back to where we were 20 years ago. Well, Mr. Messina, I'll thank, thank you for coming today. And, and by the way, this man's got some ex excellent vineyards and wineries. He has mul multiple locations. Uh, he was just up at the, the, at the State Fair exhibiting in our, our uh, wine garden up there, so, so we appreciate that. And we do take that uh, pestic any pesticide drift, but particularly in your case, the, the 2,4-D drift is, is a very, very serious issue. And, and we're, we're taking that uh, very, very seriously and, and uh, trying to work uh, you know, we try not to take sides. We, we like to make winners and winners. So we're looking for that equitable situation where everybody comes out on top and because and, we don't want anybody, whether it be the, the wineries in Texas or the cotton farmers or anyone else, uh, to be up on the short end of the stick. So, so we, let me just tell you, we got your back on that one. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Ann Robertson, and I've been on a fair amount of children's and environmental health boards and learned a lot about the pesticides of harm pesticides are doing to primarily our children. And so my question is, you said that GMOs do use less insecticides and pesticides. According to the EPA, the USDA, and even many other uh, countries around the, the, the world, but particularly USDA and the EPA say they, that the use of GMOs is requiring more pesticides and insecticides. Initially, it wasn't the case, but now they're using, in some cases, a lot more because the weeds are becoming so resistant to, the, uh, to what's being sprayed. And the, the primary one is glyphosate, which is, according to the World Health Organization, has been deemed to be a probable carcinogen, which really means it is. And that's being used in way greater amounts than ever before. What's your understanding on these issues? Well, you're incorrect. Your information is incorrect. Glyphosate is, by the way, has been around over 30 years. Uh, there's never been a study showing it's a carcinogen. Uh, there is one one report out that said it might possibly a carcinogen. So the jury's still out on that. Uh, I assure you that if it was a carcinogen, uh, the trial lawyers and the uh, would on the uh, uh, would be lined up ha having the lawsuits uh, all across the nation. You'd see them flash across your screen. Uh, the numbers I get are from the USDA and the EPA uh, and the farm organizations, and, and I assure you that uh, uh, pesticides have decreased exactly 41% with the use of, of, of the GMO crops. Would you be open? And yeah. keep, keep in mind, when we talk about pesticides, we're not talking about just herbicides, but we're talking about fungicides, uh, insecticides, nematicides. It's all inclusive of the family. Would you be open if I can find some studies sure. to counter out that? Yeah, I've read over okay. about, about 600 of them. Right. If you've got something I haven't read or you want to refresh my memory, I'm open. Bring it to me. Thank you. Anybody else? Any other questions out there? All right. Well, thank you, folks. Let's give a big She's hand to Oh, She's got one. Oh, yes. Hi, Katie. 
Go up to the mic, please. Yeah. I just wondered if you could speak a little bit to um, what you see as your office's role in addressing um, water rights issues and, and groundwater issues. Um, I know that you know there's been examples of well contaminations and uh, near ranches, and I just wondered if you could speak a little bit if you saw a role for your office in addressing some of those issues. Well, th thank you for bringing that up. That is one of my initiatives. It's, it's my number one initiative. Uh, when I arrived at the TDA, we did not have a water department. We have one there. We have an assistant commissioner just specifically in charge of water and, and, and rural affairs. His name's Dan Hunter. Uh, he came from the Texas Institute for Environmental Research, part of the A&M University system, where he had the, uh, water research projects on, on every continent on, on the globe. Uh, so he, we, we have some really, really good people there. Uh, Texas has a, has a water problem. As you know, we went through a four-year drought, and the, it's brought that to light. Uh, we have 27 million people. And at one time, we could water our state with windmills, and, and it wasn't a problem, but those, those days are long gone. Here, here's the good news. The state has a 50-year water plan, and it's a good plan. It's probably a little over bill, but hey, I'd rather have too much water is not, not enough. Uh, the legislature has done a good job in addressing that 50-year water plan. The last constitutional election, you, the voters in here approved taking $2 billion away from the rainy day fund to address those water needs. The election before that, it was $6 billion in bonds. So right over there in, in my building, the Texas Water Development Board is setting on $8 billion for this 50-year water plan. The total cost of that plan is $53 billion. We can do it with $8 billion because you don't just give that money away. You have to buy down interest rates, low interest loans, and as those projects come on, they pay off their debt and, and that's rolled. So, so, so we're on it. The, the problem is uh, that only pretty much deals with surface water because the state owns all the surface water. The, the tricky part now comes to the groundwater. Uh, that is owned by private individuals. Unlike most western states, Texas still lives on, under the rule of capture. So basically, the surface owner owns the water under your, under your acreage of your property. Uh, the legislature came to the point, and Texas is one of those states. We, we're very fiercely independent and love our personal property, and, and we don't like a, a lot of government regulation or oversight. But it's come to the point in our state where somebody is going to have to oversee the groundwater because it has had some abuses. So. Here, here's the choices people have. You can control that locally, form your a groundwater conservation district, elect your own board of directors, and, and they can oversee the groundwater in that area. If you don't want to do that, the state will come in and will regulate it for you. So most, most play people, most places, uh, especially in West Texas, where most of these are, which is where the greatest shortage of water is, coincidentally, they form these groundwater conservation districts. So through groundwater conservation districts, we get to addressing the basis of your question. It is at that local level. They, they set the well spacings, make sure that people aren't pumping water that's under their neighbor, uh, issue permits, they track where every well is. Not necessarily because they want to meter your water, that's not going to happen, but we need to know when one of those wells is abandoned, we need to go in and plug it so it doesn't have uh, leaks in, into the water table. And we have some of those around because we haven't had a system to track those abandoned wells. And that's where our ground, most of our groundwater contamination has come from, is from abandoned wells, not, not working wells. I hope that answered your question. 
Wonderful. Thank you, folks. Let's give a big hand for Commissioner Miller. Really appreciate it. Thank you.